0: Great to be in church, isn't it? Are you excited about being in church this morning? Yes. I am, because I get to stand up the front and share what God's placed on my heart during the week for you guys. It was interesting, I was up before the service, uh, organising the PowerPoint and thing, and, and Jay looked at the title and said, oh, gee, that's good, that fits with the song that they were practising at the time, and I wasn't really listening to it. I said, oh, that's good, and that's a, that's a funny thing. We've got uh, good friends down in Karoi on the Sunshine Coast, lucky them. And uh, they go to a church where the, uh, the service has a, a theme and, and they have songs to go with that theme so they pick the ones they want that will work out the theme and that. And they, and, they, and they said, you know, what do you got? Said, oh, we just turn up and it all happens. Yeah, but, well, how do you get the sort of the, the theme? Well, I don't know, It just happens. And this morning it just happened, <laughs> because my uh, title this morning is God's greatness and our gratefulness, and we've been singing about that this morning. And um, you probably won't find gratefulness in the Bible, but you will find thankfulness. But that made the title better: our greatness, our. Our God's greatness, our gratefulness, it sort of flows better than thankfulness so that's why I've entitled it that. You can entitle it whatever you want. You know, best sermon I've ever heard this year or something like that would be fine with me. (laughs) Let's pray after that I'd better. (laughs) Heavenly Father we thank you that we can come together here this morning in your name. We thank you Lord that you are a great God and I just pray these words that I have this morning will perhaps help us to understand you a little bit more. I thank you, Father, through your greatness. You have a great love for us, each and every one of us. And that through your great love we can come to know you and be grateful or thankful for your wonderful love and your wonderful mercy and your amazing grace. Father, I just pray you speak to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's greatness, our gratefulness. Let me get the dictionary out. I think I should have enlarged this. But great is of much more than ordinary size, extent, number. It is eminent. It's very impressive. It's noble. It's excellent, splendid, and fine. Great or distinguished person. That sort of sounds a bit like god doesn't it grateful feeling or expressing gratitude gratitude a feeling of thankfulness for favors received if we look at thanks is an expression of gratitude thankful is a feeling or expressing thanks thanksgiving is according to the Australian Pocket English Dictionary, which I think we all had at school, a formal public expression of thanks to God. How about that? That's the first meaning for thanksgiving. It also means the celebration they have in the United States. I'm bumping and sounding funny, am I? I'm okay? I can't just be, just be me. That's all right. You know, they have the Thanksgiving Day in the United States where... The celebration of the first European migrants in their thanksgiving to God. And so it's the same type of thing. Out of a revelation of God will come a gratefulness or thankfulness to God. And I think if you're like me, perhaps you don't really sometimes grasp God's greatness or appreciate it. And I'm thinking maybe this is due to his amazing grace that we can walk in this a wonderful grace of God that we can sort of maybe not really appreciate what has come behind or what is what it comes out of. So we want to look at that this morning and I'm going to have a look at God's greatness and I've got some, of, um, some attributes of God. And uh, I'll go through these quickly because as one of the songs says we're only scratching the surface. I'm probably not even scratching with what I've got here about God's greatness this morning. His self-existence, Psalm 90, verse 2. Am I better? Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah, someone's... (laughs) Thank you, Petra. I just remembered I'm supposed to do that. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even... From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. By self-existence, we refer to that unique attribute of God by which he has existed eternally and will always exist so. Unlike all other things that relate to our existence, God does not owe his being to any other thing. God is the uncaused cause, the uncreated creator. God did not depend upon anything else outside himself for his existence, nor will he ever depend upon anyone for it. His eternality. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Not only will God exist undiminished, everlastingly into the future, but he has existed identically throughout the infinite past. Not only has God himself existed eternally into the past, but so also has his plan for his creation omnipotence Jeremiah 32:17 Our Lord God behold you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched hand there is nothing too hard for you God has the unlimited power to accomplish anything that can be accomplished This is termed omnipotence the things god does are neither difficult nor easy for god they are only either done or not done omnipresence psalm 139 where can i go from your spirit or where can i flee from your spirit if i ascend into heaven you are there if i make my bed in hell behold you are there if i take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me by omnipresence we mean that god is everywhere present in the fullness of his being this allows him to interact in any place any places at any times being in all locations present in the whole of his being there is no place we can go and not be in his presence this is a comfort for christians and a torment to believers omniscience romans 11:33 O the depth of his riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways Past finding out. When we say God is omniscient, we mean that he knows all that there is to know. There is nothing that is outside the scope of his conception, understanding, or attention. God neither studies nor learns, for one cannot increase a knowledge that is already insurmountable. Neither does probability exist for God. All things are either are or are not in his perspective. There is no maybe. Goodness, Exodus 34, six to7. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions in sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. One of the most intrinsic attributes of God is His goodness. God is not good because it is attracted for him to be so, nor does he follow after some sort of standard for goodness. God is actually so good that he is the source of goodness. I'll have a breath. Sovereignty, Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? Sovereignty tells, us, tells of God's divine control over everything that happens. Transcendence, Psalm 113, 5 and 6. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth? Transcendence refers to the fact that God is unlike any other being in our experience and so no anal- an analogy or comparison can come close to perfectly describing Him. His ways are so other than our ways that we cannot predict Him, categorise Him or comprehend Him with any sort of accuracy. All that we truly know of God comes solely through that what He has chosen to reveal Himself about Himself to us through His Word. Last one, holiness, Exodus 3, 5 and 6. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Holiness is synonymous with God's total purity and separation from the rest of creation. Holiness is a moral purity and different from Adam's holiness. God's is eternally incorruptible. This holiness sets God apart from fallen man that in his natural state no man may approach the incorruptible God. For man is tarnished, dirty and corrupt and true holiness cannot bear such. This is evidenced by the special commands to those who would approach God which we've just read in Exodus. God's holiness is one of primary reasons why the advent of Christ is so incredible. It allows men who were once unable to come before God the ability to kneel before the throne of God and worship forever and ever. Are you getting a little bit of an idea of the greatness of our God that we serve and worship? I hope so because that took a lot of time to research that. And there's a whole lot more where I got that from. In Isaiah six, we are, well, where am I? Done that? Yeah, that's it. Isaiah nine six. Yeah, maybe I should let you do it, Petra. <laughs> For unto us a child is born; unto us is given a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. For those who don't think that uh, Jesus is part of the Trinity, that's not a bad verse. But the word wonderful, it means extraordinary and hard to understand. Extraordinary and hard to understand. More on God's greatness. His creation in Genesis 1. What did he do? There was nothing. God spoke and there was everything in a matter of six days. All was, what we have was made just through his speech. That has to be reasonably great, would you agree? Psalm 147 verse 4. Petrus, I'm going to put that up. (laughs) We've got it. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. He said to Abraham in Genesis 15:5, he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Simple science lesson this morning that declares the greatness of God. According to NASA, there are between 100 billion and 400 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. Would you agree that's a lot of stars? Why is the big difference? Because they can't sit there and count them one by one. They take a section of the sky and divide it by something and that gives them this, this, um, that number. So there's a between 100 and 400 billion. We'll, we'll stay with 100 because that's an awful lot. 100 billion. So that's in our galaxy. And there are estimated between 100 and 200. Billion galaxies in our universe that we can see. I googled times 100 billion by 100 billion, and you get 10 V something B whatever. Obviously, your calculators don't have enough noughts for it. It's an awful lot of stars. God puts them in place, and He knows their names. I have trouble with three children. Don't I, carry? Oh, that's Heather. Where is Kerry? Oh, there's Kerry. <laughs> that was just for illustration purposes, okay? Over, the number is huge. And it's amazing, I read a, a piece during the week that it wasn't until about 1989 or some time that we had a telescope that could show all these stars. Up until then, we just had sort of millions of them. And yet God wrote about it thousands of years ago in his word. He got people to write it down. That's his greatness. Who can fully comprehend the God who counts the stars and knows all of them by name? A fellow by the name of John Piper has written the book, The Pleasures of God, and he says, What is this universe but the lavish demonstration of the incredible, incomparable unimaginable exuberance and wisdom and power and greatness of God what a God he must be we just can't fathom it well I can't you're probably all a bit smarter than me maybe you can as I said at the beginning maybe sometimes I know that I I perhaps don't appreciate God's not only his greatness, but his holiness, his purity. Maybe due to the, i have already walking in his grace, but that is a part of it. So what would happen if we get a revelation of God's greatness, of God's holiness, his purity? Can I put to you this morning, two things will happen. We would have an overwhelming sense of our sinfulness, our filthiness, we're tarnished, we read there a bit earlier in one of those, about we just cannot be where God is. God cannot be where we are because of our sinfulness. But then through our gratefulness and our, or our thankfulness, we would honour God through serving him. Would you turn to Isaiah 6? The book of Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 to 8. Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, this is the prophet Isaiah writing here, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one ca- cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was overcome with being in the presence of God. He sensed his sinfulness and his filthiness before God. Woe is me, I am a man undone. He knew he was in for it. Well, he thought he was in for it. Moses, in Exodus 33, asked God if he could see him. And he says, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Exodus, Genesis. Exodus 33. Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before you. We read there earlier about God's goodness. He is goodness. He's a representation of goodness. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It's almost that man cannot face the fullness of God, all his goodness. But hang on, Moses has spoken to God on a number of occasions. He's been up the mountain with him, he's been in the temple with him, in the the tabernacle, he's been speaking with God. My only thought is that on all other occasions God didn't reveal himself in his fullness to Moses but this time he did even though he didn't do it all. So God protects him. When my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass. It was too much for Moses to bear. Isaiah is in the presence of God. It is too much for Isaiah to bear. Woe is me. Yeah, but other people have seen seen God, haven't they? Have you read your Bible? And lots of people have seen God. Abraham, Abraham's wife's maid, Haggai, ha, ha, you, you know, the lady. They've spoken to God face to face and yet they didn't have all this thing happen to them. Well, I had a light bulb moment last week god is the trinity yes we'll try that one again god is the trinity yes Yes. i hope you all say yes because that's one of the foundations of our faith that's why we're sitting here this morning god the father god the son and god the holy spirit any one of the trinity can be anywhere at any time and still and are still god so when we read about the lord appearing or talking to someone in the old testament Most scholars have agreed what they call a theophany of Jesus, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, and Jesus is just as much I am as the Father and the Holy Spirit. So in a sense it is God, but not in his fullness as he is appearing to Moses. But then again, each one of the Trinity is the fullness of God. Refer to um, Isaiah 9. Wonderful extraordinary and hard to understand i'm going to refer to that a lot in the future now where was isaiah that's right he was cringing and freaking out in the presence of god thinking he's done for but the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe we can't even comprehend how sinful we are for a starter but more accepted and loved than you ever Dead hope. Isn't that a wonderful thing to hear? Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. The gratitude of salvation. Isaiah was ready to serve. He had a heart of thankfulness for what God had just done. About five or so many years ago, when did you get diagnosed with cancer? Six years ago, seven, any advance on seven? <laughs> I was with Sandy in our doctor's office and he said, yep, it's what I thought on Monday, it's been confirmed, you have breast cancer so we need to get you into surgery straight away and uh, you know, get it done. And So most of you know that when you get that word spoken over you, it's a, not the greatest uh, things to be told. And uh, a little while later, once news got out and people began to hear about it, the staff at the King Cora State School where Sandy worked did a, um, a pink day or something and raised some money for to give to us. And I was at home one morning when one of Sandy's teacher friends turned up and I went down to, to see what she was doing. And uh, she handed me some money or cheque, I think, on whatever it was. And... Uh, It was a sizeable amount of money and there was a bit of dust around, so I got a bit watery in the eyes and there's a bit of dust around this morning. And I was just so overcome and so thankful to these people. I didn't know, Sandy knew them quite well, I didn't know too many of them all that well and to think they did it for us, I was just so grateful And, of course, there was more dust and there was more watering of eyes and she gave me a hug and that was wonderful. But, but, you know, this is just a group of people looking after a workmate and I was so overcome with thankfulness and gratefulness to what they'd done. And, you know, the key to it is they didn't have to. They didn't have to do that. There's no reason at all they had to do that. But they did out of their love for Sandy. Sandy. God didn't have to do it. When we're in front of God, we're like Isaiah. Woe is me. We are unclean. He didn't have to send his son to die for us that we might have eternal life. But he did because he loves us. There's a little thing here called the incomparable Christ. He came from the throne of the Father to the womb of a woman, He put on humanity that he might put on divinity. He became son of man that we might become sons of God. He was born in a supernatural way, lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He had neither wealth nor influence, yet the wisdom of man has never matched his wisdom. Never has man spoken like this man. His family was inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. As a boy he stunned theologians and his knowledge and wisdom for he was taught of God. In manhood he ruled the elements and quieted the raging sea. He healed the multitudes without medicine and fed thousands from a boy's lunch. Even demons obeyed him and he gave back to life those who died. He never wrote a book yet none of the libraries of the world can contain the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, yet he was furnished. He has furnished the theme of more songs than all the songs writers combined. He never founded a college, yet all the colleges together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never marshaled an army, yet no leader has ever had more volunteers. Great men have come and gone, yet he lives. He lives all. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not tempt him to sin. Death could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He laid aside his purple robe for a peasant's gown. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. He slept in another's manger. He rode on another's donkey. He was buried in another's grave. He conquered death and rose on the third day as he said he would. He ascended into heaven, is now at the right hand of the throne of God. One day he will return with power and great glory to judge the world when every knee shall bow to him and every tongue shall confess him as Lord. His his friends gladly, but enemies seeking for a place to hide from his face, he is the perfect one, the only one who can satisfy the soul. He gives everlasting life to those who love him. He is altogether lovely, but best of all, he is my saviour. came out of his greatness not because he had to because he wanted to our response like Isaiah is to have a grateful and thankful heart psalm 26 7 that i may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works psalm 69 30 i will praise the name of god with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving 2 Corinthians 4.15 For all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 9.12 For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. That was faith in action. the one whose greatness has put billions and billions of stars in place and knows them by name doesn't need you or me for anything he doesn't need malcolm cusack to come on a sunday morning and praise him he's complete he doesn't need he doesn't have issues with you know people don't love me or or whatever god is complete in his greatness he is complete but he has chosen us to be a part of his family that we might do his work on earth, that he may be glorified. Isaiah's gratefulness led him to say these, those words that many of us know when God asked the question Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Here I am, send me. He had a revelation of God's greatness, of God's holiness. The opposite is in Acts 5. If you'd like to turn to Acts 5, verse 1 But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife was also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last and the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out buried her by her husband. So great fear come upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. What a contrast. Being flippant and not having a, a revelation of the greatness and of the holiness of God like Isaiah did. I don't want to be like that. Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Here am I, send me. I want to finish this morning looking at Martha. And you're probably thinking, how the heck does Martha fit into this? Well, I, I've got a whole new appreciation for Martha. Because somewhere between Luke 10, where we pick on poor old Martha, of being a, how many sermons do we hear of Martha as a prime example of someone trying to earn their way into heaven, because she's a worker, she's doing all the doing, and Mary was the good one because she was at Jesus' feet before heard those messages? Well, I read John chapter 11 during the week, and she's far more an amazing woman than that. john 11 uh, from about 17 so when jesus came this is um lazarus had died and they sent a message to jesus you know come and you'll be able to heal him and he'll be right but jesus hung around for a few more days and next minute lazarus was dead so he went over to see what was happening so when jesus came he found out he had already been in the tomb four days now bethany was near jerusalem about two miles away And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. How is this for a woman of faith? Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. What a woman of faith. What a great, tes- um, what do you call it, confession. And Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha obviously knows the scriptures because she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And look what she said to him. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She's had a revelation of God's greatness and holiness. She recognizes the Messiah. What a great woman of God. She not only serves... But she has great faith. So can you change your mind on Martha next time we pick on her? What a great woman of faith. Go over to verse uh, chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. This great woman of faith. Who believed God could do miracles and believed that Jesus was the come, was the Messiah? What was she doing? Serving. Serving. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil here's the one sitting at jesus's feet that was the spiritual one what is she doing she's serving they're both serving they both know jesus as their lord and their savior they both know have had an understanding of god's greatness and his holiness they are serving What a great example of Isaiah's statement worked out in the New Testament. A revelation of who God is and serving Him with a grateful heart. As I was heading to the church this morning, the song Amazing Grace was playing on the Fresh FM, and the second verse caught my my ear. And it says, "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed!" At the beginning, I said that perhaps it was God's amazing grace that clouds my thoughts of His greatness and His holiness, and uh, an understanding and appreciation of God's greatness. But it's God's grace that allows us the g- glimpse of His greatness. Exposing our sinfulness and at the same time, showing his abundant goodness towards all of us. We get a glimpse of God's greatness. Here am I, Lord. Send me, said Isaiah. Will you say that with me this morning? Let's stand together and could we have the music team back up please that'd be great I was thinking as I'd finished preparing this message that it's probably a we would think it would be a, a good message and it is for, for those, if you were here this morning and perhaps you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, or you don't have a great understanding of God, of, of calling people to come to know God's greatness, to be like uh, Martha and having a, a revelation of God's greatness and His holiness, but also knowing His grace and His salvation. And if you like that this morning... I trust that uh, you will speak to someone after the service and uh, we can have a chat to you and, and you can become a follower of Christ and, and, and if you've had that uh, experience. But while I was doing the, the, the message, it's, it's not about the non-Christian, it's about the Christians that are here this morning. That we need to have a, a revelation of God's greatness. Of God's holiness, of God's goodness. Yes, we are walking in His grace, but don't let allow that to uh, dictate to us that we can be slack. Let's be like Isaiah when God asked the question, "Who will go?" Here am I, Lord, send me. That's our challenge this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, just your greatness that is fo- so far beyond our understanding. You truly are, in the, every sense of the word, awesome. We, uh, I, I struggle to understand how anyone could remember so many stars let alone all the other wonderful things that you have put in place and the things that you do your knowledge your goodness your your uh, eternity Father I pray that each and every one of us would just uh, I guess have a have a touch a glimpse a fresh taste of your greatness this morning Lord and that it would encourage us to be like Isaiah and say here am I send me father we thank you for the opportunity that we've been able to come and to worship this morning out of a heart of thankfulness and gratefulness and lord we give you all the praise and all the honor in jesus name amen thanks team